Alright, so we're in First Thessalonians 4 this morning, but we are not going to be talking about the rapture. Uh, the, that's a very popular passage we just read about the coming of Christ. But what I want to focus on is the first part of this chapter. But first, let's look at verse 11. This is where we get our text this morning. It says, And that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you. This verse right here, I used to quote this verse a lot when I taught in the Christian school. Whenever kids would start getting antsy and start worrying about what other kids were doing, I would often tell them, hey, go read 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Go write down 1 Thessalonians 4.11, telling you to study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we command you. I use that verse all the time when I taught the Christian school. But what does that mean for us? What specifically was the Apostle Paul talking about? Because the title of my message today is Study to be Quiet. And most people think, well, I don't even need to study for that. All you got to do to be quiet, right, is just keep your mouth shut, right? You know, just don't make any noise. But the truth is, uh, there's a little more to it than that. It's not about just having, you know, sound coming from your mouth, okay? The Bible talks about how, as Christians, you know, we ought to try to live quiet and peaceable lives. So in other words, you know, we don't always want to be that person that's just kind of the center of drama or the center of conflict. That should not be us as Christians. So what's Paul talking about specifically here before we kind of get into the main part of the message? Let's, let's take some time to look at context and look at verse 3, or chapter 3, I'm sorry. In verse 11 it says, Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So notice in this, at the end of the chapter here, he's talking about how you know God wants something from you. He wants you to be holy people. He wants you to get your life together. He wants you to uh, get yourself in a way where you can be blameless at the return of Jesus Christ. Because he's coming back one of these days, and he ends chapter 4, <clears throat> talking about the return of Jesus Christ. So in verse 1, he says, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk, and to please God, so ye would abound <clears throat> more and more. For we know, ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. So notice God does have expectations for believers. Okay, Notice how, too, God doesn't really have any expectations for unbelievers, except that they will just believe on him and they will be saved. But then after you become a believer, it is God's will for your life. It is God's calling on your life to live a holy life and to try to get your life together and to try to straighten up your act. Many people today, they decide, you know, they make the mistake, they get things backwards. They think, well, I'm going to try to get my life together, you know, and then I'm going to be, you know, start following God. You know, then I'll become a Christian after I get my life together. That's not the way it works, okay? We are all dependent on Jesus Christ. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit to help us succeed. And what you need to do first is you need to get saved first. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to just realize, I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough to earn heaven. I could never be good enough. And I just want to receive that free gift of salvation. Let Him give it to you. And then He'll give you that earnest of the Holy Spirit. And then He'll help you to actually be able to do some of these things that the Bible talks about. 
Because often people look at all the things that the Bible talks about doing. They're like, there's no way I could do that. And you know, there's no way you could do it in your flesh. There's no way you could do it on your own. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, He can help you become better and better. He said, I want you to do these things more and more. Is something that He mentioned. We're supposed to always be growing as, as Christians. None of us are there yet. We are always to be striving to be more like Christ. That is God's expectation from us. That's what God desires. That's His will for our life. And so Paul is instructing them here not to be like the rest of the world. He's telling them, you know, abstain from fornication. Don't be like the Gentiles who just follow after the lust of concupiscence. In other words, you know, that, what that word concupiscence means, it means, it's kind of a good way to illustrate it, is if somebody puts a sign out there, don't spit on the sidewalk, what do we want to do? We want to spit on the sidewalk. Right? Now, you had no intention of doing that before. You had no desire. But then when the law came, what did you want to do? Okay? I heard our states trying to make it illegal to pump your own gas. You know, that's just going to make me want to find some way to just do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it because you've got to be able to act. You'll, they'll come up with some way to activate the pump. But, you know, our, our government's just getting out of hand. Okay? They're trying to ban raw milk. I don't even like raw milk. But it makes me want to drink it when they want to ban raw milk. Uh, my family all drinks it. I just, I just don't like it, but it, it makes me want to do it. And if they make it illegal, I'll probably try to find some way to get it because <laughs> that's a terrible law. Right? And I, I shouldn't be admitting that uh, you know, publicly because I'll get in trouble one of these days. But anyway, you know, that, that's just kind of how we are. Okay? And that's, you know, that's not a good attitude. But it's how, Paul's telling, he's like, don't be like the Gentiles. That's what they do. Okay? They just follow after whatever their flesh wants. You know, the way they act, like, like people who do not know God, they act as though there is no judgment coming. And so in verse 6, it says, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So understand, God is an avenger. God is, He is coming back. Judgment is going to come. So understand that if you're saved today, you have a calling on your life. And you know what it is? It's holiness. That is God's will for your life. The, pre, the things that we teach here in church about living right and following Bible commandments and standards and things like that, these things have nothing to do with getting you into heaven. People often want to call us legalists for teaching that you ought to live a certain way, act a certain way. No, we're not teaching these things so you can go to heaven. We're teaching these things because God has called us as believers to do these things. Now, are any of us in here perfect at it? Absolutely not. You know, we all fail, we all mess up, but we're, we should be striving to do the best that we can. We're not just going to ignore these things. And as a pastor, I don't have the right to ignore these things because one of these days you all are going to stand before God. I am going to give an account for what I taught you. And I don't want to stand before God. You just stand before God and be like, man, nobody ever told me we're supposed to act this way. Nobody ever told me I shouldn't do this. Well, I want to be able to say, actually, you know what? I did. I preached that from the pulpit. I preached that loudly. But, you know, at the end of the day, I can't make anybody do anything. But I can teach you what the Bible says. And understand, you do. You have a calling on your life, and that's holiness. So in verse 8 says, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So when you sin as a believer and harm others, you don't just despise them, you despise God. 
The Holy Spirit, he indwells us and we grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin against God. We shouldn't want to do that. Verse 9 says, but it's touching brotherly love. You have no need that I write unto you for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You know, we don't even need, we shouldn't even need to be told that to love other believers. And so he says, and indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren, which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Hey, even in the areas where we're doing good, you know what Paul said? Do even better. You know what? Let's do more and more because we're all trying to be like Christ. And you think, you know, what, Pastor Tommy, why do you preach so hard on things? You know, I think we're doing pretty good around here. Yeah, but we're supposed to be doing better. You know, and until we're getting mistaken for Jesus Christ, you know, we need to keep going. Okay, we need to keep on going. We need to keep on trying to be better. That, uh, the goal is Christ, not just to be the best in town or the best in the state. That's a really low standard. Y'all understand that? You think of the best Christian that you know, and if you make that the standard, that's a sorry standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. So verse 10 says, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren. I already read that verse, verse 11. And so then he says, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. So in this goal for holiness, in this goal to you know follow God's will for our life, to fulfill God's calling in our life, the Apostle Paul says you need to study to be quiet and to do your own business and work with your own hands as we command you. Why? Because if you don't do that, it's going to stop you from doing what you've been called to do, and you're not going to be able to walk honestly towards them that are without. You're not going to be a good example to the unbelievers of this world. You're going to end, you're going to have, be dealing with so much junk in your life. You're going to have, you're going to have so many other needs that's going to take away from the work of the Lord. You're not going to be able to do the work of the Lord. Some people today, they're just incapable of doing anything for God because their lives are such a mess. They've got so much turmoil in their life. There's so, there's so much chaos that they are pretty much just useless when it comes to following after God and being a good Christian. So what does this mean to specifically be quiet? In light of just what we just read, how, what are some things that we could take from this, some principles we can apply in our life? Okay, Because I believe there's many ways as believers that we can make a lot of unnecessary noise. Okay, Now, there is good noise we're supposed to make. We should be proclaiming the gospel, shouldn't we? Okay? We should be being a light to the world. Okay, the Bible, sometimes the Bible talks about, you know, shouting things from the housetops. Okay, that's when it comes to proclaiming the word of God. You say that's the opposite of being quiet. Well, understand that's just a different subject here. Okay, but then when it comes to just how we live our lives, we ought to study to be quiet. And so what does that mean? So how what are some ways that we can do opposite of that? What are ways that Christians often fail in this area of being quiet? And what do we need to study? What do we need to learn to actually be quiet like he's talking about here? So first thing we need to make sure we're not constantly drawing negative attention to ourselves specifically as church members okay now understand he's writing to a group of people here okay he's writing to the 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 church in thessalonica he's writing to a group of people and he's telling these people that you know you shouldn't you know you need to be quiet okay as a people and so as a church we are kind of a single unit aren't we but bible calls us says that we are one body so while we have many members 
in the body. And we all have our own things that we do. We all have our own lives, our own jobs, our own personalities. There's a, quite a bit of difference in all of us as a whole or as a church. We're one church, aren't we? We're one church and the Bible doesn't want to, or God doesn't want us having any schisms as the word the Bible uses or splits or divisions in the church. And Bible is very clear on that. And so as a member of Liberty Baptist Church, okay, because this is the context here, okay, as a member of this church, it ought to be your desire to be quiet, okay? Now, does that mean you're never allowed to say amen in church? You're never allowed to sing in church? No, that's, it's not, once again, this isn't talking about song sound waves coming out of your mouth, okay? But what you should not be doing is negatively drawing attention to yourself as a church member. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So notice that God have this man Diotrephes. He wants to have the preeminence in the church. He wants to be the main guy. He wants to be the center of attention in the church. This is a bad thing. Okay? You should not be trying to draw attention to yourself and just, it shouldn't be your goal to just make sure everybody notices you, everybody knows who you are, and everything just be all about you. That is a very selfish attitude. That was Diotrephes. And he says, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So Diotrephes here, he was, a, he was a very bad example. He just wanted to have that preeminence. He's casting people out of the church. You know, he's not receiving Paul or, or John. I'm sorry, he's not receiving guys like John. You know why? Because John was the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ. Guess who everybody's going to probably think is more spiritual than Diotrephes? John, guess who everyone is going to think knows more about Jesus than Diotrephes? I mean, a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? So Diotrephes, he can't have that. He's trying to get everybody to think he's the greatest in the church. And if John comes along, he knows that John's going to outrank him and John's going to get more attention. So what does he do? He's trying to keep him from the, He's not going to receive him. Anybody else that comes into the church that he thinks could outdo him in any way, he's casting him out of the church. Why? Because he just wants to be the center of attention. He's not thinking of this church as a body of believers. He's not thinking of it as a whole. It's all about himself. And sometimes people have that attitude. They want to come into church and they've got the things that they like. You know, they want the music to be the music that they like. They want everything to be in the church exactly the way they like it. And if things don't go their way, then you know what? They're going to make a stink about it. They're going to make sure that everybody knows about it. I mean, if the color carpet isn't the color that they picked and that they voted on or something, I mean, they're going to make sure that everybody knows that the church made the wrong decision. Why? And, you know, anytime anything's going on, they've always got to make sure everybody knows what they think about it. Why? Because they're not, they don't know how to be quiet. They don't know how to just go and work with everyone else and, you know, work as a unit. They've got to be the center of attention. And we often draw attention, people often draw attention to themselves in a negative way by trying to have the preeminence. Another way they do it is by being involved in sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Go ahead and turn over there. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, this is definitely a way you do not want to be drawing attention to yourself as a Christian. The Apostle Paul here, he's writing to an entire church. I don't know how big this church was. But as he's writing to this church, he's got to take some time to deal with one member in the church. One member that's causing a lot of problems for the church, that's causing God to be against this church, says it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication is is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Notice, he says, it's reported commonly among you. You know what that means? It means everybody's talking about it. Everybody knows what's going on in this church with one member. One member in this church is doing something really bad and everyone knows about it. I mean, this is a sin that's not so much as named among the Gentiles. Imagine, I mean, look, you know, we have, you know, we have about 60 people in here this morning. Imagine if one of you that come to this church went out and you did a mass shooting or something like that. Do you not think the news media would have a heyday with that? And just go nuts with, you know, the, the independent fundamental Baptist. I mean, they've been trying so hard to find a mass shooter that's like a conservative, you know, right wing Christian thing. They've been trying so hard to find one. And imagine if just one of you did it. I mean, they would make, I mean, none of us would ever, most, I mean, all of us would never even think about it. But if one of you decided to do something like that, guess what our church is going to be known for? Boy, they would, I mean, the, our haters would have a field day with that. I mean, I mean, and there are thousands of people that are in churches like ours and that are in this movement. And we, everybody's been saying for years, you know, there's somebody from these churches, they're going to go shoot up a place. They're going to go, you know, shoot up some homos or something like that. It's never happened. Okay. Out of thousands of people, it's never happened. But imagine if one person, if one person did, y'all know that would be the story, wouldn't it? I mean, they would be working to get us shut down. They would blame my preaching just because of one person. Do you want to be that person? Do you realize how wicked that is? I mean, you, that one person, I mean, we, we've got a church full of people. We've been here for over eight years, and nobody in our church, out of all the people that have come to this church, has ever been mur- you know, guilty of murder. We did have a guest speaker one time, but uh, he wasn't... <laughs> He wasn't from our church. You know, sometimes those things, but even that, you know, sometimes it happens. And so think about that. You know, and yet we see that it's very common in churches. There's that one person that gives the whole church a bad reputation. You know, that is the opposite of being quiet in the church. Y'all understand that? People are talking about this church, but not in a good way. You know, I'm thankful that we got a call. Uh, voicemail from the mayor of Sterling one time. I got on my answer machine about two men in our church, but it was about two guys that knocked on his door that were polite and that were very nice and that he said they represented your church well. I mean, he just had nothing but good stuff to say about our church because of two guys doing something good. You know, that's the that's the kind of reputation that you ought that you ought to want to have. They weren't out there doing something outrageous, but yet many people today. They often ruin the name of a church. One person can ruin the name of a church by them making noise and and drawing attention to themselves in a negative way. We should not be reading your names in the police reports. 
That's not not what should happen. You know, you shouldn't be the reason our church isn't being blessed. And you say, well, God wouldn't stop our church from being blessed for one person's sin. Well, it was hurting this Corinthian church, what the one guy was doing. And you know what else? We see in the Old Testament, remember Achan, the troubler of Israel? They lost the battle. Many people died because one man took of the accursed thing. And the Apostle Paul goes on here in 1 Corinthians 5 explaining how a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. He says in verse 2, he said, Are ye puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you? He's saying you need to, you need to get rid of this guy. But you know what? You're puffed up. You're lifted up with pride. Oh, you know, we're, you know, we're all just sinners. You know, we can't throw somebody out of the church for fornication. You know, we're, that would be hypocritical because we're just all sinners. Knock it off. That's a wicked sin, and it shouldn't be going on amongst God's people. There are some things that the Bible specifically tells us should not be once named among you to become a saints that ought to get you thrown out of church. But yet the churches, they're getting all puffed up. Oh, you know, we're not going to do anything about that. No, that's a terrible attitude. He says, for I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him, which has so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So he's saying here, listen, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. This one man, if you don't get rid of him, he will destroy your entire church. Do you want to be that person? Do you realize sin will do that? Sin could make you that person. Sin can stop you. Or sin in one person can stop the church from being blessed. That right there, that is the opposite of being quiet. You don't want to be that person. We should, you shouldn't be making our church look bad. Look what it says in Proverbs 6, 16. We shouldn't be, you shouldn't be the center of drama. Okay? And in Proverbs six sixteen says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now, when it comes to drama, okay, there's always in the church, there's always going to be that one person that's got all the turmoil and it's you know got all the issues and has all the problems. But do you all realize the reason that those people are able to cause such a stink in a church is because of all the other people that are those feet that are swift in running to mischief. That they are not necessarily the cause of the drama, but they are the amplifier of the drama. You know, you give these people the audience. You know, you, you give them what they want. You give them that attention. And the truth is, you know, and I, when people are having a lot of these, this drama, it's usually because they're just in sin themselves. It's usually because they are in sin, they're doing something wrong, and then they do. They've got these little drama mamas, as they're called quite often, that come along and they do, man, they just, they, they, it's like they throw gasoline on the fire. You know, and... That is the opposite of being quiet. You know, we don't need a bunch of drama in the church. 
Okay, you know, if somebody in the church is having an issue with somebody else in the church, okay, don't go asking one of those people how things are going between the two of you. All you're doing is adding fuel to the fire. All you're doing is amplifying that drama. Well, it's not, I, I'm not the one having a problem, you know. You know, it, it's Austin and Matt. They're the two that are having the problems with each other. It, it's not me. Yes, but you are adding drama to it by going and asking Austin, hey, you know, how, how's things going? And then going and reporting to Matt what Austin said about him. You're adding fuel to that fire. You know, chances are, you know, these are grown men that the ch- chances are if they have an issue with each other, they'll probably move on and get over it. But when you have a bunch of teenage girls that are often grown men uh, that come along, you know, asking how things are going and, you know, reporting all these things and spreading it around everywhere, you know what happens? The drama just grows and they don't start acting like grown men. They start acting like teenage girls, too. And I just understand it's, it's especially revolting when there's men that are always the center of drama. When there are these men and I know I know preachers that are like this. Preachers that are constantly on the phone in the middle of drama, calling everybody up. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know what? Why don't you go buy yourself a cheerleading outfit and get some pom-poms and just go around and wear that next time you get up preaching in church just to show everybody what you really are. Okay? You're a high school cheerleader is what you are. You're a teenage girl, and you shouldn't be that way. You know, when somebody calls you up wanting to spread drama to you, say, listen, I, I graduated from high school years ago, and I'm a man. I don't want to hear about it. Okay? And ladies, I know, you know we, we like to accuse women of having a tougher time with this. And I know men struggle too, but you know the Bible talks more about women with this. So if we you, mention you a little more, it's just because it's in the Bible more. All right? But you know what, ladies? You need to say, hey, I've been out of high school a long time too. And I know it's easy, to, it's easy to get caught up in that stuff. But understand, even if you are not the source of the drama, if you are adding fuel to the fire, if you're talking about it, if you're that listening ear, understand all you're doing is creating unnecessary noise in the church. You're drawing unnecessary attention to people in the church, to yourself. That is the opposite of being quiet. It ought to be your desire to live a quiet, peaceable life. It ought to be your desire to live a drama-free life. And sometimes it's hard. That's where study comes in. You're going to have to work on these things. You're going to have to learn how to handle that. You're going to have to learn how to shut people down. When people come to you with gossip, and I didn't put this verse in my notes. I wish I would have. I'm probably not going to quote it right. But what, what's that verse in the Bible that talks about how that, you know, a, it talks about the look you give somebody and it, that angry countenance, it'll drive away that backbiter. I, I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to quote that. There's a great verse in Proverbs that agrees with what I'm telling you. Just go read the book of Proverbs. You'll find it. <laughs> Just look up uh, like an angry countenance. I think it's, it's, there's a time when we ought to have an angry countenance. Okay, just search angry countenance, you'll find it. And, when, here, and here's when you ought to have an angry countenance. When somebody comes to you with gossip, I mean, make the ugliest, meanest face that you can. I mean, look at them like you're about to strangle. And you know what? They're not going to come to you with gossip anymore. Okay? But most of you, you just get that look of delight when somebody comes to you with the juicy gossip. Get over it. Okay, get over it. And men, if you're going to be that way, go buy a cheerleader outfit, all right? Because that, that's, that's what you are, that if, if that's the way you act. And so, you know, we should, you know, don't be that person. You know, we, you shouldn't be adding fuel to the fire. You shouldn't be the center of drama. And we shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be that person in the church, too. We're constantly talking off the ledge. 
You know, you ought to be growing as a Christian. It's one thing for that new believer. New believer, you know, they're going to kind of struggle sometimes. But if we're constantly pulling you out of the bars, if we're constantly, you know, just, I mean, trying to check you into the drug rehab facility, I mean, we're just, I mean, this is a constant battle with you. You know, we constantly have to try to figure out where you're at and, you know, what's going on in your life. You know, that's the opposite of being quiet. And listen, we do want to try to help those that are weak. The Bible talks about, in Galatians, talks about bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, those who are strong, we ought to help those who are weak. But it ought to be your desire as a weak Christian to eventually become a strong Christian and not stay weak. And some people are just, they stay weak forever. They never grow. They're constantly, they constantly have to be helped. That shouldn't be you. You, you know, we should, you shouldn't be an unnecessary burden in the church. Look what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3 in verse 6. It says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which ye have received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we have behaved our we have not behaved ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. So notice here, this again, this is talking to a church. He's saying, withdraw yourselves from those that walk disorderly. But what, what often happens in church is those who are walking disorderly, they get all the attention. They're the ones everybody wants to pay attention to, everybody's talking to, because they do. Everybody loves drama. And they're just making it worse. The Bible doesn't say to go and just, you know, put your arm around them. No, it says withdraw yourself from them. He says, you know, when we, he said, we didn't walk disorderly among you. We were not chargeable to any of you. Not in verse nine, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, Neither should he eat. Now, we often use this verse when talking about, you know, just the bums out there who don't want to get a job and want to just live off the government and be on welfare. And I believe the principle applies. But what he's specifically talking about here is in the church. If you've got somebody in the church who is not helping in any way, they are not contributing, they are just a burden, they are only causing trouble. You know what he says here? If they're not going to work, they shouldn't eat is what he says. For we hear that there are some which walk disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now, now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. He said, man, you've got some people in there. They're not working. They're not helping the church. They're there all the time. But you know what they're doing? They're walking disorderly. They're being a disruption. And folks, I mean, this happens all the time. It's real big in this movement, too, where people, they come into churches like ours. Why? Because there's a lot of action in this church. But they come because they're drama queens. They come just wanting to see the action, and then they end up being people who often walk disorderly. They're not good people. There are a lot of people that come into churches like ours who they come in, and man, they get plugged in right away. I mean, they're involved in all the activities. They're involved in all the soul winning, but they're also wicked people. And I've seen this too. And we've done a pretty good job of scaring these people off that have come through here now. We've had a few of them. 
that have been here a while. We've done a pretty good job of scaring these people off. But I've seen a lot. You'll go into these churches and you'll have, you'll have these people. I mean, it's clear their life is a wreck. I mean, their life is full of turmoil. Their families are a wreck. But boy, they come into a church and boy, they're a faithful soul winner. Boy, they're really into the reprobate doctrine. They're really into all these hardcore, you know, the, the hardcore preaching and, you know, the tough controversial doctrine. Why? Because they love the drama. They love the action. But you know what always happens with these people that walk disorderly? Eventually, they're a, a big problem in the church. They're a big source of drama. The church finally has enough. The church finally says, you know, we're going to do what God said to do. We're going to get these people out of here. And then you know what these people always do? They always end up turning on that church and just revealing what they really were the whole time. They're out making videos, just using filthy, vile language. I mean, just talking about, I mean, perverted stuff. I mean, some of these people are just extremely wicked. And I've been in these churches. I'm like, what are these people even doing here? You know, I know what they're doing there. They're there. They want to be a part of the action because they're drama queens. And it's only a matter of time. And they're going to walk disorderly. They're going to get thrown out. And then they're going to show their fangs for what they really are. And we, we try to keep people like that out of this church. I mean, listen, if you... You don't think you're going to impress us if you come and you're a good soul owner in this church, but you're like a sorry parent, you're a sorry husband, you're a sorry wife. You know, don't think you're going to impress us if you come here and you're a good soul owner, but you can't even hang on to a job. You can't pay your bills on time. You don't, you're not living a moral life. Okay. I don't care. Just because you're a soul winner, that doesn't give you a pass on everything else. That's the attitude a lot of people have. Well, I'm a soul owner. I, you know, I'm good. No. Listen, if you, I don't care if you're a soul winner, if you don't know how to live a godly, decent life, you are not fit to be a part of this church. I don't care how good of a soul winner you are. If, I mean, Paul said, we don't even need to write unto you about loving your brethren. It's amazing how many people that come into churches like ours too, they can't get along with anybody, but boy, they're hardcore soul winners. I'm not impressed with that. I'm not impressed with somebody who wants to go soul-winning all the time, and they can't get along with anybody in this church. Hey, there's something wrong with you if that's your problem. If you get along with lost people better than you get along with God's people, something is wrong with you. And it's a, th- thankfully, these people, they don't stay around here long. And, I, and we need to keep it that way. Because you know why? They're a drain on this church. They're drawing attention to themselves in a negative way. That is not right. And so, uh, you know, he said, you know, he's in verse 12 again. Now, them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So when we have people that like that to come through here, you know, we are, we're not going to have company with them. They're going to get marked. They're going to get noted. We're going to throw them out of the church, not because we hate them, but so they will get right. We want them to get right. We want them to be restored, but we can't let them be here and ruin this church. That's, we are, we are a body. We are one body. And if we've got just one that's being disorderly, causing all kinds of problems, drawing all this negative attention to themselves. They're not growing. That is not a good thing. We need, we need to get rid of that. The Bible's very clear that we need to get rid of that, uh, that kind of person.
So uh, you, you ought to be doing your part in the church. You being a part of this church ought to make it better, not worse. You, know, you need to be a minister instead of the one being ministered to. And then turn over to Luke chapter 14. Okay, and that, that ought to be the goal. Okay? And once again, if you're a new believer, you, you do. You need to be ministered to. And that's why we are here. But, you know, I hope five years from now, you're ministering to somebody else. That's the goal. You know, hopefully, you know, eventually you're going to start being able to do right on your own and uh, being a help to other people. That's the goal. But another thing, so uh, another way that you can uh, be the opposite of quiet and draw unnecessary attention to yourself is by being the church police. Okay. All right. Now, what does that mean? Well, Luke 14, verse 1 says, And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him. And now, why, now, I'd like to think that if I was around Jesus, I'd be watching him real close. Okay, but now you or I, you, know, you and I, who are spiritual, right? Why would we be watching Jesus? Well, one, because it's Jesus. Two, hey, I want to be like him. I want to see what he does. I want to learn from him. So I'm going to be watching him real close, right? But that wasn't why they were watching him. In verse two, all right, it was like the police, you know, just always out there watching to see if we run a stop sign or something like that. You know, now, we might need some of that, but. None of us like it, though, do we? Especially when we get caught. But it says, And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy, and Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees. Isn't it interesting? Lawyers are there. They're always watching everything, too, seeing who breaks laws and doesn't do everything exactly right. You know, there's lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Jesus knows why they're watching him. They're just looking for something that they can accuse him of. All right, they're, they're watching him, not because they're looking out for him. They're watching him to see if he does anything wrong. Why? So they can tattle on him. So they could get him in trouble. So they could accuse him. And so Jesus, knowing their hearts, he just gives them a chance. Hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go and answered them saying, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit? and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day. And they could not answer him again to these things. Jesus is just trying to show them here, you know, sometimes there's a reason. Obviously, they were not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. But notice Jesus said, if any of you had an ox or an ass fall into a pit on the Sabbath, you'd pull them out. You know why? Because it's an emergency. Because the Sabbath, it wasn't meant to be a punishment. It was meant to be a help and a good thing. You know, if your ox that you work with, that's a part of your livelihood, falls in a pit and it dies, your life just got harder, didn't it? Sometimes there's a reason to do things. And often you've got people in church that they are. They're like the church police. They're always just looking to see who's in sin. To see who's in you know, I'm gonna Or you have the Facebook police. I'm going to see who everyone's friends with, you know. And see, make sure they're not friends with any heretics or infiltrators, things like that. You know, they're always like watching what everybody's doing, screenshotting everything. You know, just always on the lookout. I mean, they, I mean, there's there's people I know that they've got whole files on. I'm sure there's people that have files on me. And as soon as I get reprobated for something, I mean, they're going to unload the truck with all the info that they've been storing up on me for every little weird thing I've said. I mean, I, I had somebody one time literally send me a file. Okay, not in like a manila folder, but it was like a, a computer file, just full of screenshots. I didn't even ask for it. I mean, just full of information about some guy. 
it really freaked me out. I'm just going to tell you right now, like, this is weird. All right, this is, this is really weird. And uh, you should not be that way in church. You know, don't be going and just get in everybody's business, okay? You study be quiet and do your own business. You know, it's not your job to be paying attention to who all's here, who all's not here, why isn't so-and-so here, you know, keeping track of, you know, who does the most work, who's going soul winning. It's like, you don't need to do that. You know what you need to concentrate on doing is what you know is right for yourself. You need to do what's right all by yourself. That's what it means to be quiet and do your own business. You know, give people the benefit of the doubt and try to help. If somebody in the church is having an issue... Try to be a blessing and a help. Don't be looking to accuse them. You know, don't be, don't, you shouldn't have this desire that, you know what, the next heretic or infiltrator that comes in this church, I want to be the one that spots them and points them out to Pastor Tommy. And, you know, you know don't, don't be that way. I mean, if that ever happens where you do need to rat somebody out, I hope you at least feel bad about it. You know, don't ever come and tattle to me about somebody in the church with a big smile on your face. All right. We'll throw you out. Okay? That, that's a that's a that's a terrible that's a terrible attitude. But yet some people, man, with glee and with joy, they love finding out negative things about somebody, and they're 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 always on the prowl. They're always on patrol. That's not that's not good. You don't need to be that way. You know, you need to focus more on your walk with God instead of everyone else's walk with God. You know, don't wait. Don't be that person that's got. To wait till the church has revival and everyone gets right before they start doing right. I, I, that is one of the most pathetic things I've ever heard in my life. I hear people tell me all the time, well, you know, I'd go soul winning in my church, but there's only like two people that go out soul winning. And that's your excuse to not go. That's pathetic. Oh, so you're going to do right, you know, when everybody else in your church is doing right. That is the sorriest attitude in the world. You know, uh, I, you know, I go to church on Wednesday night, but not that many people go on Wednesday. No, if, if you believe it's the right thing to do, do it. It doesn't matter who else is doing it, who else isn't doing it. You know, but you know, you, you just, you're going to go whichever way the wind's blowing. That's not the kind of attitude you ought to have. You know what you need to do? You need to figure out what you're supposed to do. You need to study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever is supposed to be going on in your life, you need to figure that out and you need to start doing it. And when you do it, you need to be able to do it all by yourself. Often, whenever people learn some new thing that they should be doing in their life, or maybe they cut something out of their life that shouldn't have been in their life, you know what the first thing they want to do is? They want to get everybody else in the church on board, too. You know, why is that? Well, because, you know, your wife and your kids all hate you now because, you know, you threw the television out or something like that. And so now, you know, you feel terrible. So you got to make sure everybody else, every other husband in the church does the same thing. Why? So you don't look like a monster or something like that. Hey, if that's what God led you to do, then do it and shut up about it. And, you know, it's funny how many people there are that it's like, I I mean, I know I know one guy. I've never had a conversation with with him where he hasn't brought up how he doesn't have a television. (laughs) And it's like, all right, great. Why do you feel the need to bring that up all the time? Okay, that's weird. Okay. When you always, when, when every time you talk to somebody and they bring up like a certain 
sin that they don't have in their life or something, I automatically suspect them of having a real big problem in that area. I just do. It doesn't make me think you're spiritual. It makes me think you're weird. Okay? It makes me think you've got a big problem somewhere else. But yet, I've seen this in churches where a person learns something new that they're supposed to do. They do it, and then they get bent out of shape when the you know, rest of the church doesn't do it with them. How about you just do your own business? How about you just work with your own hands? Why don't you study to be quiet? That's the best thing to do. And just be that example without making a whole bunch of noise. But some people just aren't capable of that. Some people always feel the need to be that center of attention. And that's the opposite of what we ought to be doing as a member of a church. Okay? We, are, we are a unit. We are one group. I used to direct a choir when I was at my dad's church. You know, and one of the things I would often have to remind certain people in the choir that, you know what, don't draw attention to yourself. Okay? We're, we're a choir. We're singing as a whole. There would always be this one person you know, that would mess up in the song and like break down and just like get real dramatic and it was super obvious that they messed up. And it's like, okay, you messed up, but the rest of the choir didn't. So don't draw attention to yourself. Okay? There's 30-some people in the choir, and not everyone is listening to just you. They're listening to the whole choir. Don't draw attention to yourself. But you do. You have those people in the choir, you know, that they, they want attention so bad, they're the ones just, you know, raising their hand and doing all. Like, no, you're singing in a choir. Stop drawing attention to yourself. But that's just, isn't that some people's nature? That they just want to be the center of attention? You know, that if they don't, and, and there was always, you know, I bring up choir now too. I'm having flashbacks of all the issues I had in that choir too. You had these people in the choir too, that if they didn't like the song, Nobody in the choir liked the song. Um, no, how about you just don't like the song? We had people, too, that would, they didn't like the song. They wouldn't sing in the choir that day. You know, that's, that's pathetic. All right? I'm, I'm having all these flashbacks right now. But I, I always have to remind people, listen, it's a choir. It's not all about you. We don't just sing songs that you like. Okay? The whole choir might do good on a song. You might have messed up, but the choir did good. And it wasn't a failure just because you messed up. And many people are like that in churches today. They've got their thing they like. They got their one area they like. And I mean, if, if they had a bad day, the whole church had a bad day. If they didn't like the sermon, it was a bad sermon. If they liked the sermon, it was a great. I mean, it's like they're, in their minds, how they feel and how they react to everything is how the whole church is. That is not right. That is not the way it should be. You've got to be willing to sometimes just go along. You've got to be willing to sometimes do things you don't necessarily care to do. Sometimes when we go out soul winning, we might not go to the area. You might not get picked to go to the area that you wanted to go to. We might be doing a part of town you don't really like. But it's not all about what you want to do at any given moment. We're trying to work as a church. We're trying to... You know, plan things that's best as a whole for everybody. We might schedule an event on a day that's not convenient for you. Get over it. Okay? If, all right, we, I just announced the meeting we're having on March 20th. That might be on a day that's not convenient for you. If that's the case, you know, you don't need to tell everybody in the church about it. You know, you don't need to make everybody in the, you know, the whole church schedule everything around you, you should be willing to change some things for yourself. If you're the one person that has an issue with that, you should be willing to change things yourself. 
Oh, you know, I landed on, landed on my birthday. You know, how, how dare the church schedule something on my birthday? Well, it's not the church's birthday. It's, it's your birthday. We, get, we got a lot of people in this church. Something's always going to land on somebody's birthday. It's like some people want you to cancel service on Sunday because it landed on their birthday. And it's like, you know, it's just, you, you can't have that attitude. Okay? And that, that phrase, you study, be quiet, do your own business, it's basically a way of saying, you know what? Contribute. And contribute quietly. Don't try being the center of attention. Be there, be a blessing, be a help, but do it in a way where you're not the, you're not the focal point, you're not the center of attention. That ought to be our goal as Christians, and we ought to strive to be more and more like that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank You so much for Your Word. I pray You'll help us to follow these things here, Lord. I pray You'll help us to not have a self-centered, selfish attitude, but we will, uh, Lord, esteem others better than ourselves, that we will look on our, on the things of others instead of on our own things, and You'll help us as a church to uh, work as one unit. We pray we won't have any divisions in the body, but we will uh, be moving forward, just doing great things uh, for your cause. In your name we pray. Amen.